Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It is Friday, and you know what that means. I got my man Kyle Wax Museum podcast on the program. Going to talk a little bit about trimming. So some bad people out there, some bad actors. It's a topic I want to shine a light on. Kyle's the man to do it. He's got some knowledge. I was getting some questions. Instead of trying to field those myself, I figured let's bring Kyle on to share his knowledge, and that's what we're doing. We do talk about his collecting, some other topics. If you like what you're hearing over here. Hit the subscribe button, the follow button, whatever you got to do. But most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying Stacking Slabs. Without further ado, let's kick it over to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I have a three-time, I think, guest uh, coming on the pod. It is a someone you probably listen to, too. Or if you don't, I'm going to direct you to listen to him because I certainly do. Every week, I enjoy his podcast. I'm joined by Kyle. He hosts the Wax Museum podcast, comes out every week. If you're into basketball cards, the history, kind of past, present, future, Kyle hits on all those topics. And he's also kind of someone who I've always appreciated, um, someone who comes from the days of kind of the message board era, brings that information and is someone who is kind of always community driven and always sharing um, and doing thorough research. So The topic today, we're going to talk a little bit about trimming and what's been going on. I'm trying to get educated. I know a lot of people that have been kind of sliding into my DMs, have asked me questions, and I don't really know how to respond. So I figure let's bring on someone who's better suited to talk about it. We're going to talk about basketball, basketball cards too, a bunch of other stuff. But without further ado, Kyle, welcome back. How are you doing? Brett, I'm good, man. That was uh, quite the introduction. I'm I'm flattered. So thank you very much. But uh... Yeah, I'm just a guy that likes cards. You are you are certainly that. I picked up on that. And I, I have to say, like, you were the Stacking Slabs uh, podcast of the year last year. So we got to- That's true. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We, the, 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 the official official, we need, a, we need to get you some kind of uh, plaque or something for the Wax Museum HQ and hang <laughs> that up proudly. Have you seen- Yeah, have you seen all those new- uh, They, like, redid all the NBA awards- they're all like, uh, you know, little like round objects. Now I need a little round stacking slabs object. I, I'll, uh, I'll send it to my uh, team and we'll, we'll get it out, out to you as soon as possible. Maybe like before we get into the trip trimming stuff, um, something that I haven't spoken to you about, but I know you have kind of talked a lot about on your podcast, just you're a big guy on like history and significance. The 75 years of the NBA, like mm-hmm. I know you've covered that. I think they're seeing lists like that and seeing players get resurfaced who haven't gotten recognition in a while kind of it gets me curious and going down lanes of looking at people's cards that I might not have looked at um, before. Like that's a big thing. I remember being little with when the 50 list came out, like with mm-hmm. 75, like how would you sum it up? Are you happy with like the presentation and how it all went? Um, just anything you want to comment on just like 75 years in the NBA as we're in the midst of the playoffs right now. Yeah, I think, you know, all of the festivities really peaked, obviously, at the halftime ceremony of the All-Star game. 
And that was awesome. I mean, that was one, you know, I'll probably go, I watched it when it happened. I'll probably go back and watch it again uh, several times. And, and of course, you know, we didn't know Michael Jordan was going to show up. It seemed like he wasn't there. He wasn't there for the group picture. So there was some suspense there. And then he shows up at the end and, you know, you got to have Jordan there. So that was, um, it seemed like a pretty special moment that we didn't even know, you know, was going to happen. I just assumed he was going to be there. I didn't know, you know, he was at the Daytona 500 or anything like that. So I feel like on the on the big stage, they've done a good job. But then after that, I, I don't feel like we've gotten a whole lot. Um, ESPN's done a few things. They had a like a secondary telecast where it was kind of gimmicky. They did some stuff in black and white, and they used graphics from different eras. But they did bring on guys like Oscar Robertson and Kareem. They brought those guys on to, you know, through Zoom. And, and that was fun to listen to those guys. Um, I feel like there is some good little, you know, mini profiles and stuff out there, but it's kind of hidden. It's on NBA TV, you know, during the commercials, they'll show them. It's on League Pass, kind of when they need to, you know, fill dead air. They show those things randomly. They show them in arena at some of the arenas. So they're they're hidden. Um, that's the only thing. So you know, overall, I, I feel like they could have done a better job. Um, I know one thing I'm doing independently is I'm trying to study eras and get a better understanding of different eras. So, you know, when we're hearing all this banter and they're trying to compare all these guys, you know, we have some context for it. They never really gave us that. Or if they did, I guess I missed out on it. But um, I, I don't feel like we ever got that. So, I'm yes, I'm pleased, but no, I'm not. I don't know. I, I I'm a skeptic, and I know that's going to come off as negative to people, but that's kind of my approach to it. No, I I, I love I love the um, thought and uh, about it, and just like maybe pleased at some level, but a desire for more. And I think one of the areas where, as collectors, we want more. And I know maybe now isn't the best time to like hope for more, but like in a perfect world. Perfect scenario. I know we're waiting on prod like basketball product to get mm -hmm. released even this year. Like, what what to you would make sense in terms of like um, signifying this list, this moment into cardboard? Like, what 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 is like Kyle's like dream list or dream scenario that they would do with with this the seventy five in cardboard form? Well, I don't know if we have enough time to go through all of that, <laughs> but. Uh... I, I'll kind of start with what Tops did in '96. So they had some, you know, some basic stuff. They created like a Top Star set um, where they, you know, honored the 50 greatest, and then they had um, a reprint set where they reprinted all of the rookie cards that they had the rights to, or in some cases, like, um, you know, if like Wilt's rookie is his Fleer rookie, um, so they did the '69 Tops, which was the first Tops card that they had access to, or Jordan. They had access to the Star card, so they used those designs. They made refractors of those. I thought that was really cool. Panini's limited, obviously. They can't do that. You get you get like a hoops David Robinson, and then like everything from 2012 on or uh, 2009 on. So th there wouldn't be a whole lot of stuff there. The one thing I really wanted them to do is uh, I was hoping that they would have a major presence at the all-star ceremony because I already mentioned that was the peak of the celebration. So if Panini was there, seeing as they are an NBA partner, um, it would be fitting, maybe even have the guys wear two blazers. You know, they have their one official blazer mm. that they get to keep, but they have a second blazer that Panini cuts up. Um, it would solve a couple problems for them. Number one, they would have material for all these legends. Like they don't have a Bob Pettit jersey. The guy's, you know, 89. He played in the 50s. They're just not going to 
one, there's not a lot of those around and two, they're just not going to buy one when it comes up. Um, so they would have material for Bob Pettit. It would be player worn, but it would be meaningful. And uh, I think that's something that we've lacked here is that um, when Panini's moved into a lot of the player worn stuff, more so with like football, it's not meaningful. It's just something that they shipped to Edger and James and he put it on in his home office. You know, there, there are events where players are wearing things that um, could become meaningful and, and really they don't mean a lot to the players, but they would mean a lot to maybe collectors. They would signify an event. So um, I would do more of that kind of stuff. I would lean more into memorabilia. As of right now, they've just had a couple of really lazy parallels numbered to 75 where they just add, you know, a different foil or a different laser on it. And, um, you know, I, I don't expect a lot more from Panini at this point because they are a lame duck. They're losing the license. It doesn't make a lot of sense for them to build up a, a sport in a hobby and then hand it off to a competitor. So I understand that. I'm still disappointed, though. If I was the NBA, I would I would kind of keep that in mind. I, w- I would never give a license to a company that treated it like that ever again. Uh, Upper Deck and Tops didn't do that on their way out, and there's no reason why Panini should either. We're going to get into the topic, but while we're hitting these like um, kind of now uh, basketball card topics right now, one of the things that I think has hit my feed and I've seen and seen some discussion about but would love your feedback is like, Tops did release new basketball cards. You can put it in quotes. You can just right. call it basketball cards, but they released finest. I would love to know. I, it seemed like a mixed bag. It seemed like um, there was a lot of negativity on it. There was people who love finest that were just, oh, happy to see finest back in basketball. Um, there are player collectors I, I saw that were still pursuing players that were in that set. What was your reaction to kind of Tops finest basketball coming out? Although it, I'll just leave it at that. Like what, what's your reaction been? Like, is it something you're going to collect, like not collect? I'd love to hear anything from you on it. Well, when it was first leaked, it was kind of exciting because, um, it, it marked tops return to basketball. Um, because they also had a, a 2019 Chrome set that ended up getting, I don't know, cut up or incinerated. Um, I, I have the only card that I know of that exists from that production run. I paid a hundred dollars for it. The guys in the G League, but uh, um, what was his name again? Who was it? Kerwin Roach. That's Kerwin right. Roach. I think he's on the Windy City Bulls. Uh, so go. <laughs> I'm a big Windy City prospector at this point. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, so I was excited to see Chrome coming back because at that point we didn't know Fanatics was taking over. So it looked like, hey, maybe Tops would make a run at the license. Um, beyond that, I didn't feel like it had a lot of utility because it wasn't really a, it was a retro set with a modern retro design. You know, they tried to make it look retro, but you know, it doesn't look like any basketball set that we had back then. You got pictures of Lottie Divac with like his fat rolls, you know, showing through the shirt. Uh, you got guys with, with multiple chins. Uh, you know, it's just like, if you're going to have them in street clothes, find some cool pictures there. There are a few like Isaiah Thomas is wearing, I think a fur coat. Um, you know, get Clyde Frazier in there wearing some of his stuff. At least Goodwin does that, but um, it does not excite me one bit. Um, I feel bad for people that paid $120 for a box um, because, you know, they're getting like Corey Blunt autographs. Uh, it's just brutal. There just seems to be like a halt at anything new basketball related of significance coming out. And from your point of view, do you think this, does this negatively impact you think the basketball card community by not getting the regular run of the mill products that are coming out on a regular basis? Or do you think like, 
like you or someone who, you know, collects, you know, a team, you're still okay because you've got a bunch of other sets to explore, car save the listings and you're waiting for cards to pop up. Like, has it negatively impact your collecting experience or are you just kind of staying in your lane and it doesn't bother you much? This is a tricky answer because I, I would say like, it's horrible for the hobby because the hobby is rookie driven. And we want the we want the rookies as their rookies. Number one, I've always used that just to study the NBA. Like I felt like I had a leg up on all my friends because I knew the rookies and I knew the young guys. Now I'm watching playoff games. I, you know, I, I have league pass. I watch games most nights of the week. I'm watching playoff games and there are still some guys that I don't know. And I, I feel like, you know, I'm missing out on that on something that I, you know, used to have because of cards. Um, with that being said, the Pacers rookies have sucked. So it hasn't affected me as much. Um, but yeah, they, this being behind thing is not good at all. And um, I actually prepared, which I guess it might come out the day before this, but I prepared this week's episode today and uh, I was crunching the numbers. And, and if Panini wants to release 28 products this year, which I think is what they did last year, um, if they did a product a week, it would still to get to 28, it would be in late October, um, which it's just like cut, please, for the love of God, cut some products out. We don't need illusions. We don't need some of this garbage, uh, cut some products out and take the ones that are in existence and make them quality. Uh, but now you got me yelling out in the clouds here. I'm going to, this is going to be so anti Panini, but I, I'm just so disappointed with the, the, you know, state of modern basketball cards right now, because we are in a transition period. And I don't even know if it'll be better after that. And that's not to say everything before it was great either, but uh, this, this whole lame duck thing is not good. Kyle, I got to get, got to get you revved up before we, 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 uh, we do trimming. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Time to pour gasoline on the fire, everybody. Uh, So we're we're gonna it will end this conversation on a positive note. I promise we'll make sure we leave time for that. But like I mentioned, there you know there's this whole trimming fiasco going on, and it's not the first time. And there's just a lot of dialogue online about it. So you're the first person I thought of because I know I've been following your podcast since I've been back in the hobby. No, you this is something like you pay attention to. You, anything kind of counterfeit or um, any funny business going on, I can always appreciate kind of you giving some perspective on what you're seeing and um, what you're hearing. So wanted to have you on to talk about this, but maybe like we can start at the simplest place ever. And that would be like kind of the 101, like what, what if anyone out there isn't aware necessarily, like what is trimming? What is trimming cards and like, why are people doing it? Um, all right. So, and I will start off by saying that even though I've studied this a lot, I, I don't know if I'm an expert at this um, because really the things that we've learned about trimming have come from the mistakes of the trimmers. And uh, I, I think, you know, there are probably some things that are happening that I can't speak to because the, you know, the crooks, the criminals are really good. They're really good at what they do. Um, but just in general, trimming you know, so much in our hobby, and even this is pre-grading, so much in our hobby depends on condition of cards. You know, everyone wants the best condition of cards. And uh, even at, at card shows prior to grading, you know, people would, would have to stand and have dialogue. Well, no, I think it's very good, or I think it's poor, or I think this is excellent. And they'd have to give the reasons why. 
Um, the problem was there wasn't a third party. So if you just agree to disagree, unless you call your buddy over or, or call some random Joe Schmo over, you know, there was no one to kind of differentiate that or no one to make that final judgment. Um, grading came into the equation and, and it, you know, filled that purpose. And even though it's not been perfect, it's, I think it has, you know, filled that purpose. And that's been a good thing for people that are into that. Um, well, unfortunately, people have figured out, hey, we can trim these cards to make them look better. We can cut these cards. We can, you know, you know, shave corner, shave, you know, edges or whatever we got to do. They, they're finding all different ways to manipulate cards to, you know, make them look as if they came out of the pack pristine. And anyone that's open cards, although that's getting, you know, that's been harder to do lately, but anyone that's open cards knows that they don't come out of the pack perfect. And, you know, that's, that's what makes this thing great. That's why grading is, is, you know, is needed because there are different, uh, different types of cards. There's different conditions of cards and so forth. So, so what I, I'm trying to understand is, and I'm going to give you an example first, just because like, I, I feel like giving an example will help like me understand maybe like what I'm missing or not just on the grading side. And you might have some thoughts on this or not, but like I bought a year and a half ago, I bought an encased um, 2003 Peyton Manning gold X-Fractor finest card. It was encased. Mm-hmm. I bought it on eBay. I remember um, you talking about that. I got the card. I cracked the case open because I wanted to get it graded. I sent it to PSA and PSA sent it back to me and they said it was altered. And so I was kind of confused because I literally like, took the tape, like the, the tops tape off the silver tape cracked out. (laughs) And and so then what did I do? I sent it to BGS to see what, what they would do. BGS put the slab on it, but then they, they marked it altered. So through my kind of research, talking to people, apparently like what had probably happened was that when the sheets were cut of that card, that they were there and they're measuring whether it was undersized or oversized, whatever it is, they both grading companies deemed this card to be altered. I did not alter it. Think it might have mm-hmm. been a manufacturing thing. At least I hope that there wasn't any funny business. There could have been by the person I bought it from. Um, it didn't look that way. But anyways, since I had the red flag thrown up to me, what I guess what I don't quite understand is that like this idea of like if someone's like cutting corners or you know smoothing edges, like and they're sending them to a grading company, like. Isn't from my experience, that's a red flag that they would notice that. But in these cases, it seems like a lot of the times it's not. Do you have any idea on the reasons why? Like I'm imagining bad actors see an opportunity and just go hard at like making that happen. But any context there you can provide would be awesome. Right. So the tricky thing, and this is what people always ask, why don't they just measure, you know, why don't they just measure all the cards? Well, the problem is they come different size from the factory. And you might have, you know, you might have a hundred cards that you pulled from a pack and they might not all be the exact same size. Uh, and, and I actually saw someone recently do an experiment with contenders. They used uh, like physical calipers. I mean, a lot of people are using digital calipers, but they're using physical calipers and they saw, you know, oh, there's only so much tolerance on these cards. Um, but the problem is, you know, if they have to allow for the tolerance from the factory, then that also gives some leeway for the people that are doing these bad things. Uh, and that's mm. that's just with modern cards. Vintage is even crazier because, well, if you've seen like some of the old like 61 Fleer basketball, all of those are miscut. 
Some of them are, I've got a Wilt Chamberlain that is cut so diagonally that it doesn't even fit in a magnetic. Um, and there's no way that someone would cut it like that on purpose. And it's not a good looking card. It's been in half. So this is not a card that someone has trimmed to try and get a higher grade on. This is just one that came jacked up. Um, and then you had people that were pressing cards, like cards came oversized from the factory. So then they could press them, which makes them a little bit thinner. And then they could um, cut the, you know, the edge of the card off whatever side they, they wanted to clean up. And it would measure that factory size because it was already big to begin with. Then they pressed it and they made it even bigger. Um, and then they, they did that. Now, um, I think the grading companies have slowly caught on and they have ways of maybe determining if cards are pressed or not, but it's hard telling. And, and quite frankly, you know, they don't have time to measure all of these cards. That's what somebody said. Well, why don't they <laughs> measure them? Or, or why isn't Genement looking at these you know, these um, contenders autos, which I, that is a good question because they acquired this software or this, this technology that would supposedly do that for them. So either it didn't work or they're not using it, uh, which, which both scenarios aren't great. I can't imagine like being the individual that like is, is like, I just don't have like the, the attention to detail and nor the patience to sit there and like trim a card. So <laughs> Right. That I, like and go wait for it and all this, but you also have conscience. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I yeah, I, I think I have that. What what kind of like do you have any clues on like? Uh, and this is not like spread awareness on this is how you do it, but like do you, yeah. how are these people even going about making this happen? Like what right. like tools are they using? So I I've heard you know they're they're using as as crude of tools as paper cutters. Mm. Um, which, you know, seems kind of funny now, but at one point there were people doing that. And there are some people that got pretty good at that. Um, I've seen posts that date back to the two thousands talking about people using laser cutters. And then also there was, uh, one of my favorite blowout threads and most of them revolve around fraud. Uh, but one of my favorite blowout threads was a guy named super Dan. I've had him on the show before. He's a great guy. He's done a lot of this type of investigative work. He found a posting where a notorious trimmer had gone on a, um, I don't know, like MIT or like one of these famous like engineering schools or one of these famous colleges, their engineering department. He went on their message board and created a classified asking uh, to see if their engineering students could help him uh, create a tool that could cut little pieces of cardboard uh, as much or as little as one thirty second of an inch. And uh, I mean, this evidence is just right out there in the open. Of course, you know, we didn't know that we needed to be scouring every engineering school, uh, their message boards and their classified ads. We didn't know we needed to be looking at that stuff, but we kind of traced things backwards. Once we, you know, this guy uh, had trimmed some, some pretty big cards. One of them was a, a Harper, a Bryce Harper of some sort. He trimmed some pretty big cards. Well, then we started looking at his name and his alias and you know, it went back to some of this other stuff. And and like I said, we've learned a lot because of the mistakes of these people, uh, which scares me because there's a lot of things that we haven't learned yet. And we probably don't want to learn, to be honest. So with this recent example, with the contenders football, is there a reason why from your seat, why like that product was targeted? Like, is it, is it like, was there a vulnerability with, with that actual product that I know like as a football collector, like football collectors, they view contenders as like the rookie card, the rookie auto. Most, a lot of collectors do. So like there's some 
you know, there's desired traits on those cards anyways, but was, is there anything from the way you've, you saw the story come out and saw the cards that make it extra vulnerable and the reason why the, the bad actor was, was probably targeting contenders over a long period of time? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's like the perfect storm of trimming um, because you've got a, a set or a product that's already established as the top dog. You know, it's got a lot of, of lineage and especially in football. I know, you know, basketball, not so much. People have tried to build it up and it sucks, but football, it's a big deal. And um, they're paper-based, you know, they're, they're very thin stocks. So for a trimmer, that's, um, you know, that's an easy target. Uh, not to say that a chromium card or a thick card couldn't be trimmed. We've seen that plenty as well, especially with the RPAs. But um, the, I would say the, the thin paper stock is a lot easier for these guys to work with, at least I've heard. Obviously, I don't have that experience, but um, that's what I've heard. And, and that's unfortunately what we had here. Now, these guys left behind some pretty big, not breadcrumbs, they left behind entire loaves, um, which it's rare that that would happen now. I think you know a lot of people would be more careful now that a lot of stuff has been outed. But um, you know that's that's a recurring theme here with some of these criminals as they keep leaving behind all these clues. You want to just brief the audience on like the the loaves that were left just so they're aware in case they're just learning about this uh, incident now? Yeah. Um, so it was a modern card that had already been sold on eBay. It, it was either the buyer or the seller left feedback for the transaction. You know, hey, you know what? And I'm just kind of making this part up here. Hey, thanks for buying this Trevor Lawrence, you know, contenders auto or something. Um, so the item, you know, that the title was there. And then on the same account, or I think they're moving it on the same account, or either that, or it, you know, they were moving cards that were graded in that same serial run. I don't remember the exact specifications, but um, it's all on blowout. You guys can check it out. the The author of the threads is uh, it's like three one two, and then like a bunch of other numbers on ComC. That's his username and um, his or her username. I don't know. We don't know this person. They're very anonymous. Love it. Do you think the way with the, is the the way that this incident was brought up? It seemed like the community rallied around it. Um, you know, posts started forming. I open up my Instagram app and then you see the stories. It seems like everyone's got commenting, sharing, and then all of a sudden, it, it takes like you know a cycle where it's like I see you know your going through your phone so fast. I just keep seeing like this Trevor Lawrence card and I keep seeing like diagrams and like spotlights. And I'm like, finally it gets to the point where I see this several times. I'm like, all right, I'm clicking into one of these posts so I can figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. And then, then I realize, and then, you know, it, it, it goes to all the major outlets. Next thing you know, we have a story and like, we're pointing our finger at some bad, a bad actor, which is great. Like, I feel like community power of the community to call out a bad actor and, here we are talking about it on a podcast right now is, is the way that uh, transpired. Do you think like community rallying around, is that like ideal um, scenario? Has there been anything like different that's happened in the past that you you've appreciated, like comment just ab about like the, the community involvement on just calling this out? Yeah, I think it's good that the community is calling it out because they can put a little more pressure on the grading companies uh, I remember, you know, there was one point where we had an issue with an altered RPA and Beckett wasn't tracking serial numbers, um, which, to which I'm, you know, I'm like, this is insane. So I, I was able to use that medium of the community to say, hey, let's just blow up their inbox 
and tell them like, hey, you should probably track serial numbers. That's kind of important. Um, so, and I just use that one example because that's one I'm, I'm very familiar with, but there have been plenty of other examples as well where the community has come in and, and acted as a, a pretty good deterrent to this type of behavior. The only bad thing about the um, like social media with that, and, and it's something I've talked about before, and I'm not anti-social media. I use, I have three Instagrams, so I, I'm on it plenty uh, more than I want to be. But the only bad thing is nothing on Instagram is really linear. And then it just kind of disappears, mm. which is why I've, I've been such a big proponent of um, message boards and you know the use of message boards. And, and I know it, it's kind of a dying medium, but um, it does have its place and it's great for archiving history. I'm just a little scared that some of these good efforts that are being made now toward trimming, um, outside of what was originally posted on Blowout, a lot of the dialogue is not. And the dialogue is what we need because we need, you know, collectors need to see how other collectors reacted to something at the time. Um, and, and we're just not going to see that. So the, the comment I made on this, like when I finally like said the first, my first words about it was to the group of collectors, group of Peyton Manning collectors that I interact with regularly. And my comment was, I'm glad that there wasn't some, I'm, I'm glad I said, you'll probably appreciate this. I said, the best part about Carson Wentz being the Colts quarterback <laughs> last year was the fact that there wasn't a rookie quarterback in this set that I was going after and spending mm -hmm. a lot of money come to find out to buy a counter or an altered car at some level. So that was my yeah. reaction to it. The only worse <laughs> thing than buying a Jacob Eason card is buying a trim Jacob Eason. <laughs> That's card. right. That's it's my, my thoughts. Exactly. So, you know, it puts us in this position, I think, with we know this isn't the only case. And I think, you know, we spend a lot of time, energy and money on cards, brawl or even graded. Like, is there a way to prevent to make sure that we're not buying altered cards and not knowing about it? Is it just like maybe this mindset of always being like highly skeptical when we're making purchases? Like any feedback you have there? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's 100 percent preventable. And I also don't think that people should be just like, you know, crippled by fear when they're trying to buy a card either. Now, if you're buying a, a super high end card or, you know, Trevor Lawrence contenders or um, a Kawhi RPA or a LeBron ultimate auto, you know, those are things that, yeah, we've, we've seen some history there. You probably need to do your research. You know, I would just look at the, the sets and the types of cards that have been targeted a lot in the past. And if you know your card falls in that range, then, then so be it. Um, you know, you should do a little bit more research. You should go on blowout. You should search the serial number. Um, and it's not easy work either. Just understand that. Like I, I've gone through for certain cards and searched for hours and, and went on Google images and went on Twitter and searched images. I searched posts on Facebook. I used a Chinese image search site. You know, if you want information, you got to dig. And um, it, that's not even to say that you'll find all the answers. It's not all out there. But um, be part of a community. Let people know what you're looking for. Find people that have looked into this stuff before. And just as a side note, uh, I, I say this from a little bit of experience. If you're messaging somebody for help with the card, a simple hello at the start goes a long way. Well, I'll just leave it at that. But if, if you message me and you don't have any sort of a greeting, you're not going to get a very favorable response. Um, you know, I, I don't mind telling you where you can go um, in that case because you're not treating me like another human being. 
It is a nice aside. We could probably do a whole episode <laughs> I sh- on. I probably shouldn't have even. Yeah, that, that's a whole different topic. <laughs> hobby etiquette, hobby communication. It's it's just, just being gonna, a, I, just being a normal human being. I mean, come on. Yes, do, and do don't not, hey bud me. Do not hey bud me one more time. Or but while we're at it, another thing that just pisses me off. It's <laughs> it's one thing to say like, hey, I know you collect this player. I've got some cards. Are you interested in? It's another thing to just like throw the card and say, this is what it costs. You want to buy it without any greeting or any like no camaraderie, nothing. So we can all be better at that. Just be like Kyle, like you said, just be a normal person. Yeah. And I've had, I'm actually people that approach me um, about things that maybe I'm a little more knowledgeable about, maybe Pacers cards, you know, whatever, RPAs, whatever people that approach me in a civil way, there have been guys where like I have sat on the computer for an hour and, and helped them look stuff up just because I appreciated the way that they approached me. Um, and I, I just felt like they were a good person. It's like, Hey, I want to help this person out. Um, and that's not, I'm not trying to toot my own horn there. I'm, I'm saying that more. So it's like, Hey, you know, when you treat people with respect, it goes a long way. I couldn't agree more. Um, we covered trimming, Hopefully we've covered it enough and hopefully anyone out there who was um, kind of in the dark, like myself, has some further knowledge on the topic. Um, let's talk about some cards. Close this out on a, on a positive note. Um, <laughs> you're always every weekend, not every weekend, maybe, but like I follow kind of what you do. You're at shows a lot. You're always kind of investigating, making, trying to find new Pacers patches, different cards in basketball history that fit into your set. Seems like you're all... A high volume of activity always have something going on. So I'm curious. Um, it's been a while since we connected like this. What kind of rabbit holes have you gone down recently? Like, what are you exploring um, to add to your collection? So a couple things. The the one big thing I've been working with is a Pacers refractor binder, and it's actually mm-hmm. two binders. Um, this inspiration came from uh, Ryan, who goes by Mind Cycle Cards, and then. Caleb, who's a Celtics fan, I can't ever remember his handle because it's like Caleb M two three four two or something like that. Anyway, thank you uh, to both of those guys. I know they're not the first guys that made refractor binders, but they were the first guys I saw that actually took the time to build the binder and create a video and show it off on social media. That and that's what Instagram's great for. We talked about the things it's not so good for. That's something that Instagram's great for. Um, they created a refractor run. So we're talking from 93 finest all the way up until all of the current shiny products of their favorite team. And um, being a team collector myself, that was something that appealed to me. But um, I'd kind of built, I'd kind of started the binders a couple of years ago, but there's just a lot of other stuff I wanted to buy. Well, this will come full circle then because I talked earlier about how Panini's current product run is so crappy. It's got me going backwards. Hey, what what did I miss out on or what do I need to look into more? What can I get into that will work out well for me? This refractor binder is great. It helps me narrate the history of my team. Um, it gives me a lot of little cheap dopamine rushes in the mailbox. It gives me some big ones to chase. There's a few Reggie Miller refractors that I'm going to have to pay up for eventually. So it just all around, it's, it's just a really good project for me. And it's something that I people might be tired of hearing me talk about it, but it's something I've really enjoyed. Another thing that I've been working with is just we talked about the 75th anniversary team earlier. I've been making a series of videos on my YouTube. I'm recorded 10 of them now. I've got six more to go, which I kind of 
regretted that now that I started it. It's been a lot of work, but I got to see this thing through. But anyway, it's forced me to organize my collection of the 70, really 76, because they, they had a tie, the 76 greatest players of all time. And every time I, you know, even players I have a lot of stuff for, it's got me shopping and looking for more players. I don't have anything of it's like, Hey, I need to, I need to be buying more stuff of these guys. Um, and then it's got me going down rabbit holes. I'm, I'm reading about different eras. I'm reading Elgin Baylor's autobiography right now. Um, so it, it's just a good time. You know, I, I try to find ways to enjoy the hobby, even when, as if you couldn't tell earlier, I'm really down about the, the modern state of basketball manufacturing. I'm not down about the hobby though. I don't want people to get those two things confused. So uh, shout out Mind Cycle Cards. He's someone I uh, follow, love his collection. Apologies in advance. My daughter's being put down for a nap. So you might hear some background noise. But I would imagine as you're exploring this refractor binder, it's bringing up some like pacers from the past that might've been on the season or been in on in the pinstripes for like a season or two that you have forgotten about. But by going through this process, like you're, it's reintroducing you to these players. And then you maybe think about that season and their role on the team. Is that the type of like nostalgia that doing collecting down a path like this gives you? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm big on continuity too. So the fact that there, there's not a lot of, there's not always, I should say, a lot of similarities between eras and manufacturers. But um, at some point, it's like they, they kind of all, at least one of the manufacturers in each era gravitated to shiny stuff. And even though Upper Deck wasn't doing a lot of it, then that, you know, Tops had the refractor. They had that technology. They went with it. So, you know, I went with the top stuff. And then I went with the Panini stuff, although they went, uh, they went from 2000, uh, well, it would have been from 2009 to 2012 without having shiny stuff. Prism in 2012 was the first Chromium card that they introduced and then select not long after that. But also knowing that tops will be coming back and not just with that crappy finest product, but with an actual real tops Chrome, um, that's exciting to me because that gives me continuity and I can continue that binder. So it gives me a long-term project. I'm not going to finish it this year because there's more stuff coming out. Um, so it just gives me something to look forward to every year as well. Is this project just like the silver refractors or are you going down like <laughs> paths of the different colors and variations from all the sets and years? So I've kind of already made a gold binder, uh, which is I I made that instead of making a silver binder a couple of years ago. I've been buying up golds, which those are getting harder to get now. So yeah, I'm I'm trying to stick with silver. And even there, there were some years where the silver wasn't the main refractor, but if there was still a silver version, I'd try and at least go for that first. But then it, it gets really weird. Well, finest started out, they weren't silver, um, but it gets really weird later on with finest around like 2007. There's like the, some of the refractors were just red. Um, which kind of bothers me, but it is what it is. Um, so then I started adding Bowman in and, you know, I started adding in more and more refractors. So there's going to be a pretty nice variety in there. I, I'd love to hear your commentary on this. Cause I know you probably have a strong opinion, but it seems like, I don't know, the advancement of moving out of like the hobby mainstream cards that are going up into the moon. Like when you can like remove yourself from like that, dialogue and narrative and not like necessarily block it out, but just like, mm -hmm. don't let that drive your behavior and activity and really like think about what's significant to you. What, who do you appreciate? 
who do you want to collect and really think about that? Like, who do you want to collect? Why do you want to collect it? Like really what it does is it opens the door to buy like awesome gold prisms or gold refractors Mm -hmm. of guys that you cheered for and you care a lot about and having their card significant to you. It might not be significant to a bunch of other people, but to you and like to me, like, and this might be like a $10 card that comes in the mail, that $5 card that comes in the mail that like no one else cares about, but like it means the world to you. And I feel like when you can reach that moment in your collecting and you just work, you kind of block everyone else out and what they're doing and worry about yourself. Like it, it makes the hobby so much more fun. So I'd love to like you, you've ever since I've been following you, you've always been on this path of like, I'm just buying what I want, but it, mm-hmm. it takes a while. I think for a lot of us to get to that point. So maybe like give, give us some like words of advice or wisdom on your end to figure out how you get in a space where you're collecting for yourself and not for somebody else. So um, I, I, I think I just kind of worked myself into that position over the years and, and even just knowing like, hey, I don't like slabbed cards because I want to like handle the cards. Uh, just little things like that or like uh, sometimes it was budget. You know, it's like I, you know, this PSA 7 Elgin Baylor look, rookie looks really nice, but I can get this three with a minimal crease for a lot cheaper. I can get this great looking raw copy for a lot cheaper. I like so much stuff. So it's forced me to make some of those decisions just from a a utility perspective. Uh, You know, I just got to have the money in order to get more stuff. So that's kind of shaped some of my decisions. And also um, just being a team collector has been really good for that. But one thing that that I've started doing, um, and this, I did it for the podcast. I didn't do it for myself, but now when I, most cards, when I get, uh, when I get them in the mail, I I do a write-up. And, um, I physically type those out, you know, I, I'm, I'm reading off of write-ups that I've created and, and I'm not going to send them to anyone or post them anywhere, but I want to sit down and, and really be intentional about why do I like this card? Um, and if I'm sitting there and I start doing a bunch of write-ups and I, and I can't think of anything, mm. um, one, that means my, my creativity is, is fading away, but two, it could also just mean like, maybe I shouldn't have bought that card. Um, <laughs> If there's not a lot, you know, if you really can't give a good reason why you like that card, or if you can't tell someone why you like a particular card, stop buying it. I love that. And that's what I I like. I don't know if anyone's listening, but like what I want more people to do is when you, when you post your card on Instagram, because first of all, like, it seems like that's even been lost. We're not getting it. I'm not getting as much in my feed as more. I want to see your cards. Like I want to see your cards. I don't want to see the other stuff. But it seems like like the more the more people write and use the text box and let me know like yes it's a card but like why it's significant and why it's important to you and I know you do this on your mail days on your show but like now I have some understanding and context for why you're posting this card and it can even be of a player that I like don't like and I don't care for but the fact that you like and you care and you have enough passion to like tell me like that to me is I want to find more people who are doing that. And so I think just taking a time to take a step back and reflect on the why behind the buy and like Mm -hmm. communicating that back to the hobby can really like not only go, that'll go a long way. Like that's, I think that it makes your posts and who you are. It makes you kind of a magnet for collectors. At least that's what I'm seeking. Yeah. Well, you know, we used to do that on message boards too. 
uh, which uh, another cry back to a, a previous era, but uh, it's a little easier to do when you had a keyboard in front of you. Um, mm. I don't, I don't like doing the, uh, I don't know, typing out on my phone. That's hard for me. I'm, I'm old. <laughs> let's, let's close it out with this, Kyle. You said, want to end this on a positive note. You, you're talking, we, it's easy to get down in the weeds about like some of the negative things that are going on in the hobby, but I think there's always like silver lining and positive things to call out. What's happening right now in the hobby, collecting community, any content, anything that someone individually, anything that you want to call out that excites you about what's happening in the hobby right now? Um, I've seen some really good posts lately and uh, of people helping other people out. Uh, people, you know, I, I've got, um, and it's funny, I ran into one of them at a show. It's, uh, I was at a, a card show this weekend and it's someone I've interacted with, you know, at, at shows before, and he's doing the, um, the rave set. And, um, he said, yeah, I actually got one from the Ku coach guy. He seems like a good guy. I'm like, yeah, he is. I know him, you know, I know Jeff. And, um, I said, well, you know, Jeff's probably got three or four, you know, duplicates of that card. He said, no, actually, I think it was, it might've been his only one. Um, but he just saw I was doing this set and, and it's just little things like that, um, that really, um, really make me think. And it's like, wow, you know, he, he really did something like that. That's, that's pretty significant. And, um, I I guess I'm stealing a closer from my conversation that I had with Alex last week on my show, but he talked about people sending out care packages and just what that can do for other people and just how that can lift their spirits and, and how little, little gestures like that, which don't seem like a lot uh, in, in the context of someone's day can be a big deal. And um, we are, you know, this, this is a noisy hobby, but there are still a lot of people out there that are putting others and putting the community ahead of themselves. And we need to celebrate that. That's a good thing. Well, and one thing that I have seen you do personally, which I appreciate and I think there's been some results, but is collector classifieds on your show. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you're not listening to Kyle's show, go listen to it. But the fact that you are letting your audience or people you've met in the community use your platform to talk about cards they're looking for. And most of the time, the best part about this, it's like the most of this isn't like an Anthony Edwards, like Donruss, like base card. I, yeah, it's like, I try not, I try to <laughs> weed them out a little bit. <laughs> it's really obscure stuff. So maybe like, let's close out to talk about like, what was the origin behind that? And then like, how has that gone so far? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm not even sure what the origin was. I'm trying to, I actually, yeah, I do. I, I was setting my hobby goals and I, I wanted to try and uh, help the, I, I have a soft spot for player collectors, especially from the two thousands, going back to that message board era. And, um, you know, there was a pretty tight network of player collectors and now, you know, it's a lot harder to collect a player now. So that that's changed a little bit, but, um, I, you know, I have so many friends where it's like, man, if, if we could just find that tops total gold, you know, that papery card, that's, that's worth $10, but we can't find it anywhere. If we could just find that card for them, you know. There's, I don't know, uh, like a th- I get like a thousand people that download the show. If, if the numbers, I don't know if they're actually listening or not, but their phones download it. So if, if let's say if half of those people are, are looking in their inventories and looking in their boxes for some of these cards, it's like, man, if everyone did that, um, we could find so many cards that we've been trying to unearth for so long. 
And it, it really stems off of a, um, a blowout thread I made a long time ago called, I think it was called low numbered worthless awareness thread. And where I basically said like, Hey, there's some player collectors. We're looking for some really obscure cards that aren't worth listing on eBay to most mm. people, but, uh, we really want these cards. So could you please look for them? So I, I said, Hey, everyone, you know, let's get everyone that we can look in your boxes post all of the cards from this certain era that are numbered to 20 or less. And, uh, you know, some cool stuff surfaced and, and I figured, Hey, you know, why don't we do that on a, a grander scale? And, uh, one more thing I like about it is that, um, I I've just got a curiosity about me for what people sound like. I, mm-hmm. maybe that's a weird thing, but it's like, I read all these people's yeah. posts and it's just like, every time I get a new one in, I'm like, Oh, that's what that person sounds like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if that's relevant or not, but that's that's one thing that's fascinated me more than anything about that. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite parts of doing the podcast is inviting people on the show that I literally just follow them on Instagram or message them. And then like that moment where Zoom's hitting and it's like, you are that person. Let's get to know you so I can appreciate that. It's a little scary. That's what I do try. And uh, sometimes I'll, I'll call someone ahead of time like, hey, can we chat on the phone for five minutes? Because I'm scared like you know, what if someone is, is really good with written communication and then you, you get them on the show and it's just brutal to listen to them. Oh yeah. We, I, I, we've, I think we've all been there at some point in our content creation journey. Speaking of it, go listen to Kyle's show. Wax museum comes out Thursdays every week, every Thursday. Yep. And you're doing uh, some stuff on YouTube as well. So go visit his page. Is there anything else you want to plug? No, I think that's it. Just uh, go buy some cards and uh, go find some cheap stuff that you like. You know, find a new way to collect. Love it. Thank you so much. Kyle, we'll have to have you back on. You take care, man. All right. Thanks again, Brett. Always enjoy chatting with Kyle. There's a lot of topics we could have gone deeper in. Hobby etiquette is one of them. Hobby communication. Maybe we'll do an episode on that. I was commenting to him. We didn't even talk about the Pacers. Man, a lot to talk about there or maybe not to talk about. We'll have to have Kyle back on around draft time. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back with more Stacking Slabs next week. 